Welcome into the Dudes Being Dudes podcast. I'm your host, Evan Budgervich. On this episode, we sit down with Tyler Shoemaker, the new recruiting coordinator for the Campbell Baseball Program, who started off in operations three years ago, moving up into the volunteer role last season, and now in his first full year as an assistant coach. Tyler was a catcher at Kentucky Wesleyan, and he prides himself in being a bull. We break down what that means for the catching group and what's it like moving into a recruiting coordinator position, along with his passion for getting up early in the morning and working out. So we hope you enjoy this conversation with assistant coach Tyler Shoemaker. So Shoemaker, this is your third year with the program. You started in a volunteer role. You moved up to operations and now to a full-time assistant coach. Give me a sense of, of how unique that path is in three years to move from the operations all the way to a full-time assistant. Yeah, you know, first of all, I think it's just uh, with Coach Hare being loyal to me. Um, you know, starting out as the operations guy, you kind of get thrown into the fire. You know, I didn't know what I was getting into when I took the job. I just knew it was a Division One job and get in any way you can. So took that job and, and did some stuff where it's not always the most glamorous stuff. You know, it's packing the bags, it's getting the meals, it's travel, it's it's all that kind of deal where there's some stress. you got to make sure that 40 guys are fed and, and all your coaches are happy and that kind of deal. But if you do a good job, it really opens your eyes to a different side of the game where I think if I'm ever a head coach, that job uh, will propel me and help me in that realm of things. And then um, jumping into the volunteer role was – was huge for me because it allowed me to do what I really love to do and get back Wear on the field. Pants. Get back into the baseball pants, get back into the gear, um, and was able to really be more hands-on with our hitters and our catchers and just the overall game planning stuff where as the operations guy, you know, you kind of take a back seat to that where your your main focus is, is the logistical stuff where I wanted to be on the field, but it, the operations was a way in. And now um, over the summer – you know, I'm out working the camp series that all volunteers do and, and bouncing around trying to earn a buck. And um, sure enough, um, Coach Marks took that job at Purdue. And I was actually in Knoxville, Tennessee, working a camp and, and got a got a text that Coach Marks had taken that job. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I was ready to go. You know, and it was a situation where I look forward to the challenge of getting thrown into the fire as the recruiting coordinator. I didn't know if it was going to, how it was going to go, but um, it's just, again, loyalty to coach Hare, hard work from the, from the bottom. I think if, if we preach that to our guys as a coaching staff, we have to do that. So I use that example to our guys all the time. You know, you come in as a freshman or a Juco transfer and maybe you don't have a spot where I didn't really have a spot as an ops guy, but if you bust your butt, and work hard and do the right things, you can make your way up in this program pretty quick, whether it be as a coach or as that third guy on the depth chart that's trying to earn a spot to to travel in the spring. If you don't mind me sharing this story, our first road trip when you started was at NC State, a real easy 45-minute trip. And Oh, yeah, I, I know where this is going. I drove up separately, but the bus came up about the same time, and all of a sudden it's infill outfield time. And, and Coach here said, where's the fungos? <laughs> and I, I, I recall I think you were in charge of the fungos, so feel free to share your, your yeah. side of the story. <laughs> You know, as a as an ops guy, I, I <laughs> you're you're in charge of packing the the bus and making sure everything's good to go. Well, minor setback when we go 45 minutes up the road to NC State, first trip on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. I'm sped up. I'm making sure the feds ready to go or the food's ready to go. Everybody's fed, and, and sure enough, we get there and we don't have any fungos. <laughs> and so, 
working for a boss like Coach Hare, uh, obviously he was a little disappointed in me, but I can promise you it never happened again. And um, <laughs> it's funny, you know, game week this week, we have a new operations guy. I was sending him a list of supplies, and in big font and highlighted, I said, don't forget the fungos, comma, personal experience. So um, definitely one of those that I'll never forget for my first road trip, but um, it's it happens. It happens. So I'm curious as well, as you do move into different roles, how helpful is it to kind of start from the ground up and, and learn different things along the way? It's huge. You know, I think that I've been in every – realm of this program you know so wherever I go from here or whatever is thrown into the fire in this program I feel like I've had a hand in it um, from three years or two years ago to now where it doesn't matter if it's somebody coming out here to work on the field or if it's um, uniform um, folding uniforms doing laundry you know getting whatever it needs to be I've had a hand in that at some point while I've been here so um, helping guys as they come in and, you know, with some staff changes and all that, it's been pretty smooth because I've done it. And that way I can help those guys and deal that way. I'm always curious when you go from a coach who wants to start recruiting and get that experience to them being, you're the recruiting coordinator and a lot of that effort is on your shoulders. What's that responsibility like of trying to bring in the next crop of kids? It's, it's tough. You know, it's, it's a learning experience. Uh, like I said, last summer it was, it, got handed over to me and I had done some recruiting at Kentucky Wesleyan where I started um, but it's nothing like what we do here you know and the good thing for me was and it's kind of one of those good but bad things is that was the prime recruiting time was in the summer so I was able to get out on the road right away and just kind of get thrown into the fire and learn as you go did I probably miss on some guys in the summer absolutely but at the end of the day I understand that Coach Hare trusts me enough to, like, throw me into the fire to go find guys. Um, so it does have an added responsibility, but, um, you know, pressure's a privilege. That's something we say in this program a bunch. And so the pressure of finding that next crop of kids or that next, you know, the guy that's going to be a game changer down the road is a privilege, and, and, I, and I embrace it. I know the way this program operates is very junior college heavy, and you see a roster with 15, 16 players that turn over every year. As a staff, when you guys are talking about that and planning your, your crop, how does that work out just in terms of the logistics of trying to find these kids and bring in a, a huge percentage of your players every year? Yeah, the biggest thing is just not um, pigeonholing ourselves into a specific area of the country. And with the fall recruiting schedule now um, only being a month long for us to go find those junior college guys, one of us has to be on the road that whole time. And luckily enough for me, I was on the road that whole time. So I was able to see guys from Florida to Washington to California and, and the Midwest all over. Um, so then you have that list of names, and you, there's some that stick out, but then you can go and follow through and, and follow up with those guys because you know what you need initially um, when you go out on the road. But then as fall comes on and then you get into second semester and then you get into the season, well, we need this. Well, you've seen enough guys that you have that, that list to go back and follow up with some of those dudes that you saw in the fall, which is super helpful, but just not pigeonholing ourselves into we want to recruit this area only. No, it's coast to coast, north to south, east to west, wherever we have to go, we want to find those guys. I realize this kid was not a direct recruit of yours, but more the program, but when I think of a kid like Kobe Collins, who who came in kind of late in the process, he wasn't necessarily high on the list right away, and, and here he goes with a huge regional, <laughs> a huge just postseason performance. How proud of a staff when you see a kid like that step up? Yeah, you know, <laughs> Kobe – um, and I don't mind sharing this, is Kobe's on the verge of not making a spring roster, you know, last year. And 
he came in, came in late, didn't know exactly. He'd played some third. We thought we'd moved him over to first. Um, had some back issues, had some injuries. Um, but when a kid steps in your office and he says, I'm going to be here, I'm going to make a name for myself here, and he just works his butt off, there's not much better feeling as a coach than whenever that dude was going off in the end of the year last year because you know the work that he's put in to get to that spot and how loyal he's been to the program. Where it would have been easy for him to say, all right, coach, I get it. Like, I'm probably not in the top realm to start. I'm going to go ahead and bounce out of here and go have a great career somewhere else because I know he would have. But he loved the culture. He loved the deal. He loved the players. Um, and he stuck it out. And then, thankfully for us, he did. You know, as a coach, sometimes you try to evaluate guys and you miss. But at the end of the day, that's why you bring in great people, not just good baseball players, but great people that want to work. And that's that's the type of kid Kobe is. And sure enough, it came to fruition in the postseason, thankfully. You ask people around this program, and your reputation is, is hardworking, it's high energy, dedicated. It kind of emulates the rest of the program. But I'm curious from your perspective, playing at Kentucky Wesleyan, playing Division Two baseball, and working your way through the grind as a catcher and, and things of that nature, where does that toughness come from for you? You know, I think it stems um, it stems from kind of where I grew up, you know, of a small town in Indiana. Um, farming was a big deal. Um, raising cattle, you know, raising crops. Uh, my grandfather, he works hard every day. He's still 78 years old and still gets on the mower and mows the fields and does all that, you know. So it's kind of one of those things that just got um, implemented into my life from the get-go. And then, um, you know, as a college guy and a high school guy, you have that time where you don't really want to work hard. It's kind of easy, whatever. But then when you get into a program where um, hard work pays off, you really see it come to fruition, and then you look back at your life, and you're like, man, that's why those those things were installed in me from the get-go. It's neat because this staff is very young in general. You look at Justin Hare, still under 40. The entire staff is, is relatively young. How does that energy fuel into your daily work ethic? Oh, it's awesome. Whenever you're around guys with a bunch of energy and, and, and do that kind of deal and, and bring it to the yard every day, that's you are the dark horse if you don't, where um, – you can see staffs where that high energy guy is kind of like a misfit. Well, here the low energy guy is a misfit. And um, one thing you learn when you come into the staff is you better have some thick skin because if you don't have that energy or you're having a bad day, you're going to get called out for it. And and if you have if you don't have some thick skin and be able to take it, then then we're going to have to you're going to get picked on a little bit. We, but we talked with Matt Rodriguez about the weight room and just the guy's dedication to getting there early in the mornings and and he said you guys are equally involved in that working out with them and we get to see it a little bit on a on a process but what's that like as a coaching staff to not only work your kids hard but also be a part of that and and get some workouts in as well it's awesome man it's awesome you know it's it's one of those things even I always joke and, and I'm glad you asked that because we have a support staff that's great here, from Elizabeth Holman, who's our academic advisor, to Rebecca Younger, who's our athletic trainer, um, to to Coach Rodriguez, who's our strength coach, um, and all the way through. But there's been some mornings on this campus where I'm up early at, you know, 5.30, 5 a.m., and I'll be getting a run in, and Coach Rod's in there working out, Coach Hare's in there working out, Coach Robinson's in there working out. And then you see Rebecca Younger, who runs marathons, running all over the place. And then you see – Coach Homan, you know, our academic advisor, she's in the weight room. So it's kind of awesome to see our whole, our whole staff, not just our coaching staff, but the full support staff being in there wanting to get better because I think it emulates what our program is about, that hard work, that 
relentless effort type that we want to bring in, and our guys see that. And whenever our guys see that, it allows them to be like, man, this morning might be tough, but there's other people doing it as well. I'm curious, especially with you moving into this role, if you had a chance to speak with Coach Marks at all and kind of what he gave you advice jumping into this recruiting role. Absolutely. You know, Coach Marks and I – Coach Marks is one of the reasons I even got to this place in the beginning. Um, We were – um, had some similar acquaintances back in Indiana where we were both from. And whenever um, he moved on to Purdue, as soon as I got this job, one, I called him and congratulated him and then said, all right, man, what do I need to do? And some of the some of the points that he gave me and, and pointers and direction he gave me was, was super beneficial. And just seeing how he went about his work for two years um, where he would keep things or how he would organize stuff and – and how he would go out and recruit and, and take notes on guys allowed me to kind of build my own system off of what he was already doing. It's fascinating, too, because you're a guy who also started in North Carolina with some summer league work mm-hmm. in the Coastal Plain League, and we see that with a lot of local teams, but it's unique because that's a league where there's a lot of bus travel. You're with the Fayetteville Swamp Dogs about 30 minutes down the road, and you're bouncing to Moorhead City and, and Wilson and, and you name it. Is is that a grind that's just common in college baseball, and how did that make you a better coach? The biggest thing that that did was, <laughs> well, obviously that travel's terrible. You know, you're you're up till two a.m. It's like it's like minor league baseball, and it gives those players a feel of minor league baseball. All those guys have aspirations getting drafted, and so it gives them that feel. Now, what it did allow me to do was work with other guys, uh, work with guys from all over the country, and kind of see what they were doing at their own specific universities or colleges and maybe hitting or pitching or defense, whatever it may be, and then mold that into what I was teaching where as a summer coach you're not trying to reinvent the wheel. You're trying to refine those skills and just be a resource for those guys. Um, So I wasn't teaching them a ton, but I was able to pick up drills or different things that they were already doing at their college or university now that I have in my toolbox as a coach and make our players better. Your background is obviously catching, and, and you've really taken that, that lead the last two years. And one of the unique hashtags or phrases, if you will, is the bull for your, your catching group, and you see them flashing the fingers and, and doing the whole Absolutely. thing. But where does that culture kind of come from, and how do the players buy into that? Yeah, so whenever I got the the volunteer job, we had six catchers at the time. And when you cover, when you have six catchers, there's obviously going to be some guys that just don't play. And that's kind of the the nature of the beast and, and having depth at the hardest position because one foul ball and you're down a guy. Um, but with that being said, I had to create a culture where everybody felt that it was significant to them. And so I looked up, you know, obviously our mascot's a camel, and you look up what the dominant male camel is in the herd, and it popped up to be a bull. Huh. So I was like, well, let's run with this. And so I started looking up characteristics of the bull camel. And sure enough, it kind of – aligned with what I wanted a catcher to be. And so we came up with the bull handbook, and um, it's it's taken off from there. And I think whenever your guys see that you're excited about it, as crazy as it may be, and I thought I didn't know if it would stick or not, um, but sure enough it has. And I think those guys really emulate what I want them to be, but it also allows them to see that um, nobody else on this program or this team understands what they have to go through, whether it be bullpens to – um, drill work to BP and maybe not getting BP that day because you have to catch some bullpens or you have to do the catching side of it. Um, nobody understands the grind of what those guys have to go through except for them. So creating that culture that emulates what I want out of a catcher but also emulates the big culture theme that we want in our program I think has been super beneficial. On your Twitter account, 
I've seen a lot of videos of you showing your catchers framing strikes or saving strikes, if you will. And we know Buster Posey's one of the best at doing that at the big league level. How vital is that at the college level? Yeah, I think it's huge. You know, I think over the last th- couple years, receiving has really turned into be king as a as a catcher. Where it used to be, how quick is his pop time? Um, can he do this? Can he do that? Where now we're starting to see as pitchers' stuff gets better. Where now a normal college arm is ninety plus. Um, and then it keeps going up from there, whether you get into minor league or major league or whatever. Um, the receiving aspect of catching is just taken off because if you can't catch a ball that has sink or has run and, and all that kind of stuff, um, you're not very good back there. And so um, taking that and running with it and being able to show our guys that what do we do the most, that's receive pitches. So um, we're going to spend majority of our time doing that because if we can't do that, then you – I can't put you back there. So um, we spend a lot of time doing that, and then then we still move on to the blocking and throwing aspects. But um, over the last couple of years, the metrics and everything say from major league on down that if we can win a couple strikes or increase the probability of a pitch being called a strike, it can change the out- outcome of a game, whether that be that 2-1 pitch that becomes a strike to make it 2-2 rather than that 3-1 count. So we really see that, and I – and I show our catchers those numbers, so now they been they understand the benefit of it, and they want to do it because now they see the highlight video, and they're like, "Man, that's cool." And then that know? competition kicks in, mm-hmm. and, and you go Absolutely. to fan graphs now at the big league level, and they have strikes saved and percentages mm-hmm. and, and things. It's it's going to trickle down here in the next couple of years, I would imagine. Absolutely, it's unique for your perspective as well as a catcher because there's a convention in Nashville, mm-hmm. which sounds like the start of a great story, but there is a, <laughs> a, a catchers con convention, and, and you've been a, actually a speaker the mm-hmm. last few years in presenting your thoughts on mm-hmm. on certain topics about catching and. I'm just curious what that culture is like uh, of catchers and getting together with some smart coaches and, and former players and learning about that, that part of the game. It's been awesome. You know, I've met a ton of people in the catching community where um, there's been those staple points that have always talked at, at the catcher con, and, and they're always there. Um, but you always meet somebody new whenever you go. And one cool thing about the catching community, um, whether you be a, a pro guy to um, college guys to high school guys to private instructors, uh, the one common ground is catching. So um, I think that we all bounce ideas off each other. One of the coolest aspects of that convention is it's so low-key that there's 100, 120 people there. And so um, at night, there's not a ton of people going all over the place like you see at the big ABCA convention where at that at the CatcherCon, they're all kind of sitting right there around a table, and you can really bounce ideas off of each other from all levels. And that way you kind of see some common ground between that youth coach and that major league coach. You know, and, and at the end of the day, we're all trying to get better and, and learn from each other. I wanted to touch on what you mentioned earlier, the month of recruiting in mm-hmm. the fall where you're out on the road. And we see pictures on your social media in, in Washington and California and sit at a coffee shop at the beach and getting ready to recruit. How much of a grind is that? Because there is the fun of being on a plane or driving to this town, but obviously you're trying to find so many kids and, and get those numbers right to recruit your next recruiting class it's 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 an awesome experience and the the traveling of it is awesome going to a baseball field and just having that excitement of you might find the next guy right the next dude so be saying as we're on this podcast um but the the other aspect is you get to see some of the the country where i had never been to california until this year and i'm out there um for 10 11 days i know that's where you're from so um you're excited about that one but um, being able to see some areas that I haven't seen or go down to Florida and spend some time, and, and it allows you to kind of get away. Now, you miss your players back at home. You miss coaching the guys that, that are in your program, 
But at the end of the day, you get to go out there and see some different aspects, different areas, um, but also see some awesome baseball fields, meet awesome coaches. Um, and then in the meantime, whenever you have a little downtime, because um, they're not always going to be at the field. They you, can't play at 8 a.m. Yeah, yeah, so you can you can jump around and maybe go see a beach that you've never seen. Or um, I hiked to the Hollywood sign out in California, just stuff that I had never done before. Um, and it gives you that little mental break of not being – on the grind 100% of the time. I know you've had the pleasure, too, of meeting up with Joey Scrassis, mm-hmm. who's now coaching at the school he played for back in California. And just to see even like the Zach Menix of the world in the coaching business getting their careers started, it has to be a great experience for you. It's awesome. It's awesome. You know, when I was out there in, in California, um, I actually went to Delta and saw Joey coaching and saw got lunch with him and, and hung out with him a little bit. Um, but just to see those guys kind of take their own realm and, and have their own positions – but also um, understand that they're teaching what what they learned here. You know, and with with Minnick, especially being a catching guy, um, I mentored him for two years, or you know, helped him for two years, and now he's coaching with one of my best friends that I coach with at Kentucky Wesleyan, who's a head coach at Pikeville, and um, with Coach Coach Hamilton hiring Minnick. Now there's that real connection there. Your coaching so, tree's begun. Yeah, yeah. So the coaching tree is kind of awesome, and, and um, you know, I I know that there's some guys on our team right now that will eventually be a coach they all have that mindset and some of them really want to do it I'm curious since you brought that up is there a player or two that stands out you think could be a coach one day I think Colin Wolf will be a coach next year somewhere if he's not playing professional baseball he will be a coach somewhere he's definitely got that mindset um heck he brings some stuff to the table right now that I'm like that's a good idea I'm gonna steal that from you and coin it as my own but um he's definitely one of them um I think that Ty Babbin eventually will be a, a coach somewhere um, after he gets his master's, maybe a GA spot, get his feet wet, and then get into the coaching realm um, from him being a catcher and kind of sinking it all in. Um, but those two specifically, I think, will make great coaches someday. One of the fun moments we have on these podcasts is bringing up some of the winning memories over the years. And the last two conference championships, one in Lynchburg and, and one in Fayetteville, you've sort of had the, the first hug, if you will, or the first <laughs> big embrace of, of Justin Hare and the staff after a championship what goes into that moment when you get the final out or, or whatnot and, and this championship secured? Well, first off, you can breathe after that happens. Um, that last inning, you, you never know what can happen. And um, Coach Hare and I usually stand next to each other in the dugout just because we don't deal with the pitching. We're, um, Coach Marks the last two years and Coach Robinson have kind of done it. Um, they kind of stand together. Me and Coach Hare stand together. Uh, but after those wins or after the last out is caught, you kind of hold your breath. I can specifically remember last year in Fayetteville, that ball's hit um, to left field and Barefoot's camped under it, but there wasn't anybody saying a word until that last, until he, he secured it. And then, you know, just going in for that hug, it, it it's one of those feelings that's hard to describe because you put in the hours and you put in the work and you, you pour into your guys um, for that moment, for them to succeed. And whenever they do, you're like, man, it's not about us. It's not about – Anything like that, it's just all that work that you've put in um, has finally come to fruition. And um, for our head coach, you know, it's it's one of those things where he hires us. So being able to put in that work for him is even more special. So when he hugs you and he says, man, congratulations, we did it, um, there's not much above a better feeling. One final story I want to touch on. During the Greenville Regional this year, we had sort of a unique weather delay that lasted over 15 hours, <laughs> come back the next morning for the final half inning, and that game had some stress to it. But sitting all night and waiting to get essentially three outs, then to come back to the field and have to finish that game off, how were you personally feeling that day? 
<laughs> when we left that field, uh, there's a million there's a million ideas running through your head. Every scenario from um, we're <laughs> what's going to happen with that. You got to get the leadoff out. How are we going to get the leadoff guy out? Um, and you know we're bouncing ideas. Coach Marks, myself, Coach Hare, Coach Robinson, we're bouncing ideas off each other. Um, how are we? Who are we going to go to? You know, and they're probably gearing up for our first rounder, Seth Johnson. They're gearing up for a lefty, and then we bring in a guy who hasn't pitched in a couple months, Landry Moore, and it just they weren't expecting it. So, um, but I didn't sleep that night. Um, I tried to, um, got up, got some, got a little workout in, tried to clear the mind, um, and then you show up to the field and. Uh, as soon as the first pitch got thrown that, that game um, to restart it in the ninth where we need three outs, my shoe came untied. And um, I went down to tie it, and I actually could not even tie my shoe because my foot and, and legs and hands were so nervous and shaking because I was there was so much packed into those three outs. Uh, after that last out, I could tie my shoe. But that kind of gives you an idea of how you're feeling going into something like that is you're thinking of every scenario but you just have to trust your guys. And um, that's what I kept telling myself was our guys are prepared. They're ready to win it. Just trust them and let them go out there and get the three outs. I know each year is a different experience, and you're returning. You're bringing a lot of new kids to this program. But just as a coach, when you're out on the road recruiting, is that Campbell brand starting to grow a little bit just nationally? And, and how proud are you as a coach to be a, a huge part of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you walk in, you walk out and people – um, remember those three outs that we had to get at the Greenville Regional where they remember um, the walk-off win against Quinnipiac because people see it. And, and understanding that we have went back-to-back. And there's many times that you get out asked, how are you guys doing it? How are you guys doing it? Well, you know, you keep winning at the end of the year. How are you guys doing it? And I think it's just a accumulation of hard work um, and guys putting in the time over the whole season. There's no one real answer. Um, but that Campbell brand is definitely growing. Or you see somebody say, how is it in Bowie's Creek? And um, two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, nobody knew where Bowie's Creek was. So you see that Campbell brand growing um, odd quickly, and it's awesome to see. And it also helps in the recruiting process because now um, those JUCO guys, those high school guys are understanding who Campbell is. So it's awesome to be a part of. I'd be remiss to close this podcast if we didn't talk about your dog, Sticks. <laughs> He's a he's a fan favorite around the community, running around and getting his laps in. But he's a dog you adopted in college, absolutely, which is unique as a college baseball player. And and even now on the road with your travel schedule and whatnot, a couple of thoughts. Uh, one, how do you take care <laughs> of a dog as a full time coach? And two, what's it like being a parent, if you will? Oh yeah, you know, Sticks is he's um, he's awesome. He's my dude. Um, he's he's been with me since since my senior year of college, busting around from from place to place and summer ball to um, now to Bowie's Creek. And we're in our, you know, different places living here. So um, he's been the common point there. But um, being on the road, you just have to ask nice people around the community and hope that somebody likes dogs enough or he's he's good enough that they want to take him in um, for a couple of days or a week or if you're out recruiting for a month. Um, but he's awesome. I think that uh, it's been an awesome experience, you know, just to see him and have him. But it's also nice to just bring him out to the field and let our guy, let him run around and, and do different things. So um, <laughs> I don't know if I recommend getting a dog in college, um, but it's also been a great experience for me and, and always nice to have come home to that. He's probably not big enough to get a Bat Boy internship, right? <laughs> no, no. He he uh, he's, <laughs> he would – no, he's not in that realm. He, he can chase some balls around, but you throw a bat out there, he's probably running the other way. Well, Sue, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks.